0: Dynamic Diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic Magazine We're all different, but we can learn
1: from each other Yeah, from each other In
0: Dynamic, Dynamic Magazine Hello, this is Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered. Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode...
1: Diversity in America continues to grow. It continues to grow, and, uh, and it will continue to grow. DYNAMIC talks to the Honorable Mickey Abara about the power of strategy for a diverse nation. Every nation has the right to defend its borders, but alienating those who seek to contribute does very little good. For Honorable Mickey Abara, who leads one of the largest, well-respected Latino advocacy groups in the nation, whose father came from Mexico during World War II to help with the reaping of crops, having diverse voices in politics is extremely important to nation building. He
0: shares his journey with Dynamac. Okay. So the first question I have for you is what is your ethnic background? Where are you from and how diverse that community was?
1: Yes. Uh, my father, Francisco Ibarra, came to the United States in nineteen forty five from Oaxaca, Mexico. He is a, a benefactor of the Bracero program, a labor program that uh that brought laborers from Mexico during World War II to literally pick the crops that fed our nation while men and women were engaged in World War II. So that's how our journey began, was from Oaxaca, Mexico. Uh, He ended up in Spanish Fork, Utah, where he uh, picked fruit, Mm -hmm. and then on uh, to some railroad uh, experience and then a uh, stint at Kenicopa Copper Mine as a Powder Gang member there, um, my dad was undocumented after the Mario, or excuse me, the Bracero program for a long time, but uh, ended up serving in the United States Army during the Korean conflict, and uh, and that's how it was that my brother and I ended up uh, in being born in Salt Lake City, Kennecott Copper Mine where he was employed after the fields. Uh, it was right located right side outside of Salt Lake City in Bingham Canyon. So uh, our experience growing up was unusual in in as much as that we were my brother and I say we I have a brother that's 11 months younger than me David were separated from mm-hmm. our parents uh, both my father Mexican my mother Anglo uh, native of Utah. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was two years old. Um, Because of divorce and uh, other reasons, Uh, my brother and I were raised for the biggest uh, part of our lives up till age 15 in foster care in Utah.
0: Okay. And you served in the military. How diverse was the military then compared to
1: what you call it now? Oh, the, the, the military was very diverse. As I look back, on my life was a very important part of of my experience with diversity. However, prior to that, I think leaving Utah, which at that time was not diverse, uh, at age 15 to reunite with my father in Sacramento, that's where I really recall getting the opportunity to engage with the Mexican community, which is very large in California, and particularly Sacramento, uh that's where it was we really got the experience to begin connecting with who we were one of the struggles that david and i experienced in foster care was coming to terms with our identity uh reuniting with my father really helped us get uh connected with not only our our family but also to develop so many uh friendships uh with uh with others from diverse communities and the Army certainly complemented uh, all of that. My experience there, we, you know, we in the United States Army were from everywhere. And so that uh, that was a, a very positive experience.
0: Okay, and why did you go into politics and what was it like serving under the then President Bill Clinton?
1: Yes I credit my high school government teacher Mr Steinberg with really piquing my interest in government service and campaigns and elections and policy making he was uh he was was smart enough to give all of his students a great incentive to engage and that was extra credit at that time I was I was uh, simply an average student and needed every extra credit I could get, so attending city council meetings, school board meetings, and political events was one way that I was able to pad my score a bit, and uh, through that experience and through uh, his teaching, it really uh, got me interested in in politics. I remember one event in particular, 1968 Sacramento Memorial Auditorium, where for extra credit, I sat in the audience to listen to my first presidential campaign speech delivered by the Vice President, Hubert Humphrey, again in the campaign of 68. That speech, I think, is one uh, specific event that I can point to that really changed the course of my own personal and professional history, uh, leaving that event being, uh, being more interested in passion are about more committed to following my passion, and that was to get involved, to, to make a difference, to 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 do right, and uh, and and I give a lot of credit. That first credit, I think, to to Mr. Steinberg, my government teacher.
0: Okay, perfect. Do you think it is important to recognize diversity in politics, and why?
1: Well, without a, di- without a doubt, I think diversity in politics is uh, is a very important. I think diversity in every aspect of our life is important. The reality is that the diversity in America continues to grow. It continues to grow, and uh, and it will continue to grow. Uh, those numbers are just going to continue to get larger. Certainly, the Latino community, uh, and uh, I think it's very important for um America at the decision making junctions throughout our society that in fact we have a reflection of the diversity the great diversity of our country one of the things so unique about the united states as compared to many other countries is the level of diversity by population and i think it's important for us to continue to do all that we can to include everyone in decision making and in the prosperity that makes uh, America a, a great country.
0: Okay. On February 21st, the New York Times published an article saying that President Trump has directed his administration to enforce the the, the immigration laws more aggressively, unleashing the full force of the federal government to find, arrest, and deport those in the country illegally, regardless of whether they have committed serious cri- crimes. What are your thoughts on the new immigration directives and what impact do you think it will have on the nation as a whole?
1: Well, number one, in a word, misguided. Misguided. Uh, the reality is, is that I don't run into anyone that's interested in the area of immigration that would disagree with the need to remove serious felons, criminals uh, that are here in the United States undocumented. There's no, uh, there's no uh, dispute. About that particular point, I think uh, to go beyond that to be uh, really dividing families—the way what is going on today, daily—is is a tragedy. And to continue to avoid tackling the tough issues, and debates, and arguments, if you will, uh, discussions uh, that must take place in order for us to revise our and fix our broken immigration system. Is just untenable. Uh, we are going to have to address that. I think the whole notion of us continuing to focus solely, solely almost on the uh, enforcement side and the border security side. The reality is that the border security today is better than it's been in uh, several decades. And uh, and the fact is is that the net. Um, Immigration, if you will, between the uh, border to the south, where President Trump is talking about a wall, has really come to a net zero right now. So uh, the reality is is that what we need is a a holistic approach to making immigration uh, laws that make sense, that account for families, that account for our labor needs, our economy, all of that. So again, I think it's very misguided the approach that's been taken. most recently with uh, President Trump and his Homeland Security leadership there. It frightens me uh, considerably, as I think many others are, to discover an 11-page memo, uh, apparently written by the Homeland Security uh, professional um, civil service folks that suggests that mobilizing 100,000 National Guard troops on the border is an answer to to, uh, our problem, and it just really... Is not that at all. And uh, and I think the level of anxiety and fear in so many neighborhoods uh, from coast to coast is real. It's palpable. It's so unfortunate. And what it is really resulting in is in driving more and more residents of this country into the shadows. And that is not good uh, from a humanitarian standpoint. It's not good from an economic standpoint. It's just really... Uh, not what America stands for.
0: Understandable. And Mexico is one of the U.S.'s closest neighbors, and in times of need, for example, after Hurricane Katrina, the Mexican government was quick to offer aid in light of this. So in in, in considering all of that, what measures and or legislative changes would you like to see be made to facilitate a better and stronger relationship between the two countries?
1: Yes, and I think the United States and uh, Mexico are inextricably linked in so many ways, culturally, I think economically, uh, politically, and it's so important for us, I think, to do more to build bridges rather than walls. The fact of the matter is is that my father, as I say, Francisco Ibarra Bracero, was part of a labor program that made sense for Mexico and the United States during World War II. Unfortunately, the uh, system, the immigration system and the ebb and flow of labor back across our border really has uh, not kept up with the current needs. So, again, I think it's very important that we do all that we can to be good neighbors to each other. It just seems to me that the building of a wall is uh, really contrary to not only the, the, reality, the reality of what Needs to be done to secure our border, but also just uh, sends absolutely the wrong message. We need to do all that we can to ensure that we have an easy and sensible flow of citizens from Mexico to the United States and vice versa.
0: What advice would you give to the Latin American community who now find themselves at a disadvantage under the new administration?
1: Yes, well, certainly through uh, the processes that uh, are in place, through ambassadors, uh, through uh multinational and and other means uh united nations uh the Organization of American states, all of the infrastructure that currently is, uh, exists, I would urge those countries to engage uh just as uh residents of our country here in the United States have to engage with their government officials to let them know of their viewpoints um uh, It's important to do more, not less, as it relates to advocating for your positions uh, with those in a position that are now uh, making those decisions, namely the uh, Trump administration. It is complex, it it is difficult, every nation has its challenges, but it just seems to me that it makes a whole lot more sense for us to begin dialogue and work uh, solutions that make sense in everyone's best interest.
0: True. And deviating from politics a little bit, you uh, you mentioned earlier your um
1: you were separated
0: from your and your brother were separated from your parents yes. for a bit. So I read an article on CNN Money written by Octavio Blanco in 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 July 2016 where he wrote about your childhood in, in foster care about 15 years of it. Now yes. my question is: It's no doubt that the system has flaws, though not everyone experiences mm-hmm. the negative effects of these flaws in the foster care system. But given your personal experience and what you see in everyday, what are some recommendations you would make to you would give to ensure a smooth and more efficient foster care system?
1: Well, one of the things that certainly uh needs to happen in the foster care system. And let me just uh, mention that while I participate in the foster care system in Utah, I don't pretend to be an expert in foster care. However, mm-hmm. it is an issue that, uh, because of my experience, that that does concern me. One thing seems very clear, and that is the need to upgrade technology and the tools that are available currently through our technology and software and so on and so forth to arm our foster care systems in a way that can better match better match those that are able and willing to provide care for children uh, with those that need it. Secondly, using upgraded technology that's available today to discover family members that may not be obvious that would be interested perhaps in and again providing care for foster children. It's so important, and I think every foster child is at risk, is at risk of falling through the cracks. By that I mean not receiving the type of attention that they need, whether it's uh, education, whether it's health care, whether it's mentoring, uh, all of those uh, uh, very important uh, needs of children And uh, we need to reutilize the technology that's available to do a much better job of recording, monitoring, intervening, and so on and so forth. We need to arm up our social welfare uh, core, if you will, that are responsible for children.
0: Okay. And two more questions before I let you go. What is next for Uh, you?
1: Well, I currently... uh, I am very engaged with my business, the Barra Strategy Group. We have just begun our 16th year of business. So fortunate to have a great group of clients that I've been hired to represent and advocate for. The uh, constant in my life, my professional career, which uh, is now over 30 years here in Washington, is advocacy. And I uh, continue uh, to be very passionate in pursuit of achieving the goals for my clients. That's one. The second thing is the Latino Leaders Network. In addition to my business, the Barra Strategy Group, I also lead a nonprofit organization, the Latino Leaders Network, which is dedicated to bringing leaders together. We do that through two events, the Tribute to Mayors twice a year and the Latino Leaders Luncheon Series, most often four times a year. And uh, we'll uh, continue uh, convening those very important uh, platforms to bring leaders together, including an event that's coming up in uh, July in Salt Lake City, my hometown, where we'll convene the Latino Leaders Luncheon Series for its very first event, and uh, or, or the first event in Salt Lake City, but the 50th event overall to release my next book, and that is going to be Latino Leaders Speak, Personal Stories of Struggle and Triumph where we'll share keynote addresses delivered at this at the Latino Leaders Luncheon Series uh, with others. So, uh, very excited between Ibarra Strategy Group, Latino Leaders Network, uh, continuing to enjoy my my work and, and my passion for bringing leaders together.
0: Okay, and, and in light of all of the, what you've been doing over the many, many years you've dedicated your life to advocacy and equality and diversity, do you hope your legacy will be when you eventually you know give up this job?
1: yes, well one a couple of things I think one is is that I left the world better than I found it, mm-hmm. and secondly, that I was dedicated to bringing leaders together. I would add a third point, you know much of my time remaining uh now I want to devote more of that time to teaching more to writing and more to speaking about what I've learned along the way. I have enjoyed a very unique experience. Uh and I want to share with others who may benefit from what I've learned. I hope to do that uh faithfully for the for the rest of the time that God has granted me.
0: And I wanna thank you again, um, Mickey Ibarra for taking the time out to do the interview with us. We really do appreciate it.
1: You're welcome, Charlie. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference. You can take action to make a difference. Or you can join Dynamic in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired.